This is a show where we talk about music and film and television and why it's there and who puts it there and why it matters and why it's important and uh, the fact that media would really be nothing without music. So that's just really how I feel. But I hope that's how you feel too because that's why I'm here and that's hopefully why you're <laughs> listening. Um, I'm really excited today because we are talking about Wes Anderson. So we are not talking about anything specific. Um, yes, I said this was Soundtrack Summer where we we're going to like talk about individual like pieces of media. But I think that Wes Anderson's way to, I guess, um, how do I say this, uh, incorporate music into his body of work is incredibly interesting. And yes, it is different for each film, but it is also incredibly interesting to see how all those connect and the fact that like, um, just as process and the way that things happen, um, people are setting off fireworks outside. So that's what that is, if you're curious. Fortunately with me today, I have a wonderful Wes Anderson expert and this is my beautiful friend, Charlie. I'm very excited. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hey there, absolutely. Uh, I think experts, uh, it, you are pretty loose interpretation of okay. the word, but well. I'm um, I'm definitely thankful to be here. Thank you so much, Emma. Uh, of course. Uh, yeah, I uh, I think as with everyone out there, uh, 2020 has been a bit of a roller coaster. And the first part, I mean, I was over in London uh, for the first six or seven months, um, and then when the pandemic hit, I got dragged right out of town back home to Kansas City, Kansas. Okay. where I uh, sat in quarantine with nothing better to do than write a few papers and watch as many films as I could. So I, as with a bunch of others where I'm from, had a bunch of time to go through their old libraries, rewatch a couple of good films. And uh, I, use, I used it as an opportunity to kind of dive in to the universe of Wes Anderson. And I think, I mean, again, I'm no expert on either film, nor soundtrack, nor scoring. I don't understand the uh the intricacies of all of that uh nowhere near as well as you do but 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 it's definitely been fun from an amateur perspective to kind of try and, and, and evaluate the relationship wes has uh with the music he brings to his visual aesthetics um and i'm excited to talk about it with you uh i'm excited to hear what you have to say and again thank you so much for having me of course um yeah so I don't know. I think there are two main things that we maybe want to cover, I guess, two larger uh-huh. situations today. I think the first is sort of the semantics of it. So, like, who composed for Wes Anderson? What is, like, his relationship with different composers? Like, mm-hmm. some of the composers are producers. Some of them are not. Um, but he definitely has, a fi- like, a affiliation, like, a, I don't know, a connection with his composers. Um, we've I think we have very differing opinions on his body of work in general. Like, sure. not as in, like, positive and negative, but just, like, we think different things about different it. Different interpretations. Exactly. And um, the second thing is sort of like what his films mean and how, like in terms of uh, how they reflect on his perspective of the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And I think that the music plays a huge part in that. Um, also, Streamlabs is telling me that there's nobody here, but I know somebody's here <laughs> because like they say, yeah, they said that they were here like two minutes before the show. So if you're here, like feel free to send the chat. I love you. Um, you should be getting donation links soon. If that doesn't happen, I will send it out personally. So, yay. Absolutely. absolutely. Yes, hello. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, okay, so uh, let's just get into it. Um, do you want to talk about, like, his production company first? Because you know a lot about that. Yeah. Well, I know about as much as I could find. He's a little bit secretive with it. But, again, I'm from Kansas City, Kansas. Wes is, I think, originally from Houston. He's a big Texas guy. He went to UT Austin. Um, right there in the capital, and that's, I mean, uh, that, that's really where he met a lot of his crew. Uh, people think that he throws 
Owen Wilson into his movies as sort of like a gag, just like an ultra stereotypical American guy, just blonde hair, blue eyes, a little bit, I don't know what, ditzy is the right word? Not ditzy, but... Like, um, sort of, uh, uh, like, almost like, um, like, simple, maybe? Like a simple yeah, human being? Yeah, with, with Owen, I mean, I almost trust the guy, considering, it seems like you, you, you know what you get with, with him, mm-hmm. um, which actually matches... Wes's aesthetic very well. Wes is very, very forthright with what he wants you to think about the world in which you are viewing. Um, I mean, you think about a movie like Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. It's almost like you're in a uh, like vacuum sealed container. You know exactly, you're seeing exactly what Wes wants you to see. Mm-hmm. And when he has Owen Wilson there, he's, he, he's having you see an actor that he wants you to see. And I think that's, you know, part of his background, part of that background being from Texas where everything is larger than life everything's bigger in Texas and uh, that's why I find the name of his production company so interesting uh, Which he has, is? well American empirical productions um, American empirical productions he, he it seems like Wes does a lot with wordplay uh, when he's naming his movies I think about something like uh, Rushmore which Again, makes me think of Mount Rushmore in South Dakota, the Black Hills, um, when they say, when he says something like, uh, well, even even the way he names certain towns in what mm, I think most viewers are, are led to believe is Eastern Europe. So in like the Grand Budapest Hotel, he talks about a place called Zabrovka. Mm-hmm. He's very particular with the geographic connotation of the names he's giving to places. And so when he's giving this name to his production company, I think he wanted it to come off as something extremely American. And so he chose this name, American Empirical Productions, which sounds like American Imperial Mm. Productions. But, I mean, you and I were talking about this earlier. Yeah. Like, almost the oxymoronic nature of American Empirical. Well, yeah, and I think a lot of his films do have, like, if we think about the the Darjeeling Unlimited, Uh like, Uh that, I I don't want to be like, that is a, like, I, I, if we like examine that movie or that film and almost like what that message of that film is mm-hmm. it's sort of distorted depending on who you are and like i don't know it's just that i don't know there's a lot to unpack with that name in general i think mm-hmm. that's a very interesting moment yeah. I, I don't know it's a just a, I, I don't want to say weird because it sounds like <laughs> condescending but like it, it is definitely something that He's making a point to make it something that you have to think about. Right, like, right, right, right. And oh, that's yeah, go ahead. why I'm excited to hear your perspective because, I mean, I, I, I was just doing a whole bunch of background research on who Wes Anderson was because uh, that's the type of curiosity I have. When I was, I was enjoying his movies for a while now, um, but I never really looked into, like, Wes's background um, or the folks that he was working with, and I still don't understand that world entirely. Hmm. Um, but when you have a little bit of context about who Wes Anderson is, before you step into a movie like the Darjeeling Limited or oh, yeah. Rushmore, Bottle Rocket, um, even something like Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was written by someone else, yet has a distinctly Wes Anderson feel to it. Mm. He's always going to bring something distinctly Anderson yeah. to whatever project he's got. Um, I think a lot of people sort of look at that and immediately assume um, cinematography Mm-hmm. Like, I think everybody sort of admires right. the Wes Anderson aesthetic, but I think there's also a lot... Okay, good. Sorry. I was, like, trying to get the link to donate, but I'm glad it's auto We got it? sending it out. Yeah. Oh, great. Good. Thank good, you, good. Streamlabs. Hey, well, should we set that up? Let's let the folks know what 
Oh, for the, the bail money, project? Money yeah, going for sure. Um, I usually have the same viewers, so like I, I did this last time. But <laughs> hey, y'all. yeah, so the bail project is awesome. Um, uh, Charlie actually just did a huge Ooh. fundraiser where you donated a lot of money to bail project. That is like you know, we're not going to talk about amounts <laughs> if you don't want to. But like I don't know, it's a great organization. Um, it does a lot both for allowing like um, uh, sort of getting people out of situations um, of like carceral injustice, mm-hmm. like so people who have been falsely imprisoned people who were in prison for way longer than they were supposed to be mm-hmm. like people who don't have access to um proper legal re- proper legal representation and that right. sort of thing so right. right they are absolutely amazing i love them um but they also do a lot of work on prison abolition and um legislation and policy mm-hmm. and they work with a couple of other organizations to do that so absolutely 10 out of 10 organization in my opinion i don't know if you have no, you hit it the nail on the head. I think you know more about it than I do, and, and I really respect that about you. Oh, thank you. No, I did not want to put an organization on this stream that was, like, <laughs> not good, because then that would just be not fun, and I don't want to ask people to give their money somewhere that isn't, you know. So yeah. I, I trust this organization. That's more important now than ever before, so. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of what we're going to talk about today with Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a distinct lack of intersectionality. In yeah. Wes Anderson. Wow. <laughs> yeah. In his films, which you know. Um, so that Tiltify link—that's what brings you to the. Uh, yeah. Donation. Absolutely. Okay. So okay. Tiltify is fantastic. That. If you stream, that is a great way to integrate. Um, huh. The stream. So ten out of ten. That probably would have made that. the fundraiser we ran way, way, way easier. Ours was ragtag, just through Venmo, but. Hey, you know what? Anything works. If it there works, we go. it works. <laughs> it fits. It ships. Anyway, but yeah. So, I definitely agree with the fact that like, um, I don't know. I definitely think that his wordplay and his like it, it, it is another part of the quintessential mm-hmm. like almost mm-hmm. like almost stereotype that Wes Anderson has like you look at people's like um I don't know photography and you're like oh Wes Anderson like there's a Twitter account called um accidental Wes Anderson oh no it's an Instagram sorry but it's called accidental Wes Anderson and it's like um buildings or kitchens or yeah. settings that are like just have the aesthetic and so it's almost like how do you build that aesthetic mm. visually but also how do you build it sonically like, what is a Wes Anderson aesthetic in terms of music? And I definitely think it changes a lot depending on which film it is. Yeah. However, comma, he uses a lot of the same people, and that's a whole other ordeal of contractual, uh-huh, uh-huh. fun drama, um, but also a lot of the same, um, to- like, tonality and, like, right. sound aesthetic. Um, but they're definitely all different, and they definitely fit each um, film, like, in the style I guess he wants you to see it as. My favorite thing about this whole situation is that he uses, if you want to talk about like fetishization of Americana in a second, Ooh. we could totally I mean, you're do from that. LA. You're from the capital of American But like Americana is very production. different everywhere. Well, and that's probably the part of the problem. Yeah. Because you have definitely. a lot of LA people who are like, hmm, Americana, let's like romanticize it. Which is, which I is like, think we're, we're going to get most interesting dialogue tonight. Because I understand sure. him from a Kansas City perspective. You mm. understand from him from a you know, LA perspective. I want to hear no, absolutely. what you have to say in terms of similarities you found yeah. to other directors, other producers like him. Yeah. And then as well as like the music that he brings or that mm-hmm. his composers, soundtrack uh, supervisors bring. I want to hear what you have to say because you know so much more about the intricacies oh. of what that production process looks like. On a note that um, you just brought up earlier though. No, just like very quickly. Um, if you look at all the bands that are in his, like, uh, uh, I guess, uh, have, he's curated into a soundtrack mm-hmm. most of them are english like not even british yeah just english, which is very bizarre anyway go ahead huh. okay well back on the point when you were talking about like the accidental wes anderson 
Mm-hmm. That's a forum. That's a thread. That's a subreddit. What is that? It's an Instagram. It's an Instagram account. Yeah, I can okay. post it on my story if people are interested. But like, yeah, 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 get that going. Get that yeah. going because I've seen on Reddit when I go on, there's like accidental renaissance, and they're just oh. these random scenes where you see something, and like maybe the lighting is soft, maybe like the the, the style is just ornamental, and you're like, okay, that looks like a renaissance painting, mm. but it's in this modern light. When I look at the accidental renaissance, I think of Wes Anderson. I get the same warm, wow. glowing vibe. And I think that might have to do with the fact that Wes Anderson uses like ornamentation so heavily in his aesthetics. Huh. There's a lot of like yeah. experimental and like extracurricular detail. Mm. When you look at a building like the Grand Budapest Hotel. And the fact that for a movie like that, where the entire film is named after an object like a yeah. very artistic piece of building um and uh, also the darjeeling unlimited yeah it's named after the car or the train limited. car yeah wow i keep doing that's it. a really good point and and, yeah. and for like the grand budapest hotel he gives that entire building its own little life he the, i mean the whole story is itself the story of how the owner i don't want to give too much away if folks haven't seen it but um, how the owner came to, to control such a fantastic piece of property. And uh, when they're going through the different styles, when they're showing the Grand Budapest in its younger days and like the 1920s and then in the 1980s getting modernized, and you're just like, wow, that is a very realistic touch because that's what happened to so many hotels that were born in a different generation they were mm-hmm. updated they were retrofitted to fit the modern needs yet the name is still very 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 uh like romantic or like early 20th century the grand budapest hotel it's fantastic yeah. it's marvelous it's it's larger than life um yeah and i think it's interesting on that note that like that is pretty much the only film that i could find of his that had literally like literally zero like i maybe one was like no, I don't think any anybody. Maybe I think there was maybe one like uh, cover that was like sanctioned by Alexandra Spla, hmm. but like every other song. Oh my gosh! Hi Tess, I love you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hi. No, but like it would the whole thing is like completely scored. Yeah. That's actually wild. I don't. I don't like. I don't want to say I don't understand, but like because so many other of his films have this like very mixed like uh soundtrack and type of different things uh-huh. i guess um I, I i don't i just think it's interesting that like that film is so known for being um okay first of all tess you're absolutely allowed to be here and this is my friend charlie hey anyway um i love tess <laughs> beautiful um no so that has such a, a distinct aesthetic and that i think is the film that most people know okay. Wes anderson for that and probably moonrise kingdom but because of that, it's so interesting yeah. that it's only scored because I think that that creates that aesthetic. And I really am curious as to how much, like, the relationship between, like, Alexandre Desplat and Wes Anderson is, and then Wes Anderson's cinematography. That name, that like name. how... Alexandre Desplat. I did not know who that was 45 minutes ago. Can you give us a rundown of, of what that name means to the media industry? Yeah. Or, like, the, the soundtrack? Absolutely. Environment? So yeah, for sure. Let me just pull up a list, like his little his little discography, because uh-huh. honestly... It's like man, every childhood movie you ever loved. Kind of. Had something... All right, so Imitation Game, out by this guy. Harry Potter, 
Extremely Harry loud Potter. And, extremely loud and incredibly close. Yeah. The New Little Women movie. Um, uh, oh I love dogs. Um, Secret Life of Pets. Florence Foster Jenkins. Danish Girl. Suffragette. Um, okay. Godzilla. Huh. Twenty fourteen. Uh, let me just go back. Zero Dark Thirty. Argo. Harry Potter. Rise of the Guardians. Tree of Life. Like Danish Girl. Okay. Um, King's Speech. Twilight. New Moon. Um, Mr. Magnum's wonder, Mr. <laughs> Magorium's Wonder Emporium. What a time! The Queen, two thousand six. When did those two start working together? Um, I think it was during. I want to say it was during. I don't know because Fantastic Mr. Fox was. I think when it sort of started okay. to be. Okay. Yeah, a thing. But that was a whole thing with um Jarvis Cocker, because he that? was like he was another composer that was technically part of it. Mm-hmm. He got demoted, or what well, happened? I don't really know because he was technically part of it, and he was saying that he wrote like I looked at an interview, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I wrote three to four songs, but there's only one song on the soundtrack." And as we can probably get into later, the songs on the soundtrack are not the only songs in the film. Yeah, like no question. <clears throat> Sorry, no question. But I don't, I don't know how that dynamic was, and I'm kind of curious, but I also don't know. <laughs> so like. I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, 2009 is sort of when that started to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, nine. Oh, nine, yeah. So after that point... It's all Alexandre Desplat. All of Wes Anderson's work involved Alexandre Desplat. Yeah. Okay. And then before 2009, so Darjeeling Unlimited... Oh, my gosh. I'm going to do that every single time. I have seen <laughs> this film. Darjeeling Limited had um, a bunch of... So, yeah, uh, uh, Satyajit Ray, like composed all this work for like his own like bollywood films that he himself directed hmm. and like wes anderson was just like let me just take all of these songs and license them for the film like Wait, who many, is this? many 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 who is this who is this uh ray okay because the yeah. film was written as a love letter to one of the directors wes anderson looked up to might be this guy right hmm. i don't remember the wikipedia article but <laughs> yeah but before that it was um uh mark mothersbrough Okay. Mark Mothersbaugh. And there's a little drama there. I don't know if there's drama, but he was definitely a producer on a lot of the films he worked on. He was a producer? Yeah. Music-wise? No, just in general. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, because okay. he started with Bottle Rocket, like, first film. Wow, maybe they met it um, off, and they might have been, like, a yeah, that'd be day one type deal. Uh, there's, there's one that I absolutely said that. Oh, man. Yeah, the Royal Tenenbaums uh, soundtrack debacle is hilarious. Yeah, shout Sorry, out to that movie for featuring a guy named Chaz. Mm. That's my name back home. And uh, it's kind of funny because that name's been popping up in the news recently, especially in Seattle where they have the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Oh, interesting. And they've shortened it to Chaz, and I think that oh. that might be the only acceptable Use person plays her name <laughs> to ever, like get that treatment because growing up named Chaz you think about what like two things Chaz Michael Michael from Blades of Glory Will Ferrell's finest and then like the typical Chaz YouTube uh like running joke it's like being named Chad Light Chad Light yeah it's it's like (laughs) its own uh (laughs) that's funny but yeah Yeah. shout out Royal Tenenbaums for having a middle child named Chaz Mm. Um, do you want to where do you want to go do you want to go into do you oh. want to go into like sort of um, the more technical side of soundtrack stuff, or yes. like and just kind of get that like so that sort of we can talk about it? Could you go through more? that? that would yeah, absolutely. Because really I think I definitely want to talk about like the Midwest, like 
ideology that and like visualization sure. that he puts into the films versus like where like mm-hmm. what that really means and like is that accurate etc okay um but yeah i don't know let's we can just go for it um basically bottle rocket first film 1996 uh composed by mark mothersbrough um it was interesting there was some by um a, another uh composer but i don't know if they were credited i don't know if that was licensed i have no idea huh. but there were three th- yeah two songs that were not included on the original soundtrack three actually uh, two by love and one by Rolling Stones. Now, hmm. as you will see as I continue to talk, Rolling Stones had all these contractual issues and essentially could not release music on a soundtrack for like like a like original soundtrack mm-hmm. release for many years. Is that stipulation from their label or something? How do you get caught up in a conundrum like that? So the internet is being super uh, vague on it <laughs> because they were initially, I saw some stuff that was like, yeah, they just didn't want to. They didn't know if it was ethical, da, 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 like huh. very personal. And some of them were like, no, they were just contractually not allowed to, like with gotcha, their label. Yeah. So I have zero idea like what the real situation is, but hmm. um, Wes Anderson adores like the Stones, the Kinks, and like a couple of other people, but like yeah. particularly those two. Um, sorry, I should things on my window um uh-huh. but yeah so that happened and then rushmore which and honestly like i don't really i don't i don't want to be rude but i don't really care about wes anderson until the royal time bombs just because like i don't know i it's it's interesting because bottle rocket i was reading up on it it was a flop nobody liked it it was a flop bottle rocket yeah flop yeah and now that was it's like, like their experimental that was them literally in college yeah kind of messing around that was like a bunch of 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds. I think, if yeah. I have my facts straight, but, I mean, the fact that... But they, uh, like, licensed the Stone song. Like, they had to have had some type of power. Yeah, but they were just you know? a really young group of individuals. I don't know how... Yeah, how would they get a band like that? How would they afford that if they're so young? I, I, don't, I don't know. know. If I anybody's think... curious and wants to do research, and now is not the time because <laughs> my computer will crash... But, like, I, I don't know. That's interesting. But I yeah. think it's just interesting from a cultural perspective. Because if we want to, at some point, bring this into a wider cultural mm-hmm. conversation, we, I think we should. Because it's interesting because a lot of people, like, look back and adore that movie simply because of the, like, work that Wes has put out since yeah. then. But, like... That was his debut. That was... Yeah, but, like, no offense. It's not good. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, like, I... For being I, entirely honest, I yeah. have not seen bottle rocket i've not seen it's rushmore so. probably one of the last ones on my list to get through like his whole portfolio i've gotten through probably 70 percent, and i've watched most movies three or four times but bottle rocket i will admit despite it being his first is probably the last i'll see i that that's, that's just so by coincidence i didn't put too much thought into the order of, in which i i watched mm-hmm. them but i am interested to see that that conversation and i'm excited to kind of looking into how that conversation has evolved. Because I could see mm-hmm. how that movie would be, uh, I guess, you know, interpreted back when it was originally released and how stupid it may or may not have been. Um, but the fact that it kind of, like, oh, kick-started yeah. a very consistent career for Wes Anderson that has provided viewers with a very consistent feel for the last 20, 25 years, I think it's pretty interesting. Oh, absolutely. No, and first of all, Tess, I love you. Thank you for... Nobody's seen this movie. Um, <laughs> I love you. Have a good dinner. Thank you for stopping by. Thanks, Tess. Um, yay. Um, but no, I, I think, honestly, I and this is speculation. Like, I don't really know. But I think the whole... I don't want to put a lot of pressure on Mark Mothersbrough. And again, I don't know okay. if this is correct. 
but I think that the fact that they worked together so often mm-hmm. means that they were like low-key kind of part of a team. Now, once again, I don't really know much about his cinematographer, with the exception of that, like, once he started to get, I guess, more into, like, that specific, like, classic Wes Anderson style. Mm-hmm. Like, He's very controlling. That was... But he, but he did work with the same cinematographer. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, no, it's not funny. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, no. Uh, if we want to frowned upon to work with the same cinematographer over and over and over again. I have no idea. That's an interesting question. I just know Paul Thomas Anderson does, which is never for like what a bad thing. What has he put out there that um, I would know? I don't know. Did you see Phantom Thread? No. There's like a I'm lot. very bad with my movies. That's very okay. bad. I which see. is entirely why I shouldn't be on here right now, but No, but like nevertheless. Here's the thing is like this show and like this goes for anybody watching, anybody listening, anybody who's interested. This show is not about like breaking down the technicalities all the time. Mm-hmm. The show is about like people's feelings and opinions. Because that's literally what the point of having music is in film. Like if there was no music in film, like that would be fine, but it would be far less thought-provoking, far less emotional, far less of a connection. Mm. So, like, it's important to talk about how you connect to it and what you think of it. So, like, yeah. that's why I'm here. I also, think on that point, let's, let's talk about the role music plays in a movie like Darjeeling Limited. Yeah. How many songs are there in that entire movie? Oh, like, licensed songs? Or just songs that, that we heard in that movie. One, two, three, four, five, and then this song, which is technically... It's a credit scene. Yeah. So there are six songs in the entire movie. Yeah, three None of by them... the Kinks. Okay. One by the Stones. One by uh, what is this man's name? Peter Sarstedt. Uh-huh. Who, I, I I'm so sorry I'm bringing this up again. <laughs> I despise this song. It's called Where Do You Go, My Lovely, and it's in the short, which is Hotel Chevalier. Oh before. yeah. Yeah, it's like the only song that's what the it's short. From. When it's in both, because it's at the end as well. Which is the point, because they bring the song back around. And it becomes when a they were showing Natalie Portman in the secret car, or was it the entire yeah, scene? I think so. Wow, okay, that's so interesting. I think so. That's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, no, music is, is yeah. such a motif, and it's so beautiful. I love it. Mm. And it's like the glue. Exactly. I mean, Wes Anderson, he has his own universe. And so for a movie like The Darjeeling Limited, uh, it's all about these three brothers who somehow, I mean, they're all beckoned to this train uh, heading east towards the Himalayas, I want to say, like in an effort to track down their mom who they haven't seen since before their dad's funeral. They're all wondering, okay, why aren't we close? Like, would we be friends if we weren't brothers? That's what the whole point of them being on the movie, on, on the, the, like the train is. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But at the same time, uh, each of these brothers brings a, a life of their own, I mean, to that little sleeper car. Mm-hmm. And what Wes Anderson did with Jack's character, who I think is the youngest brother, is really interesting because yeah. he released a prequel, like a seven-minute short, that gave some visual background to Jack's relationship in Paris yeah, with, with Natalie Portman, yeah. who shows up but once in the movie, unexplained. And so if you don't have any context as to who this, this woman is, and we get that with Bill and Mary's car- character as well. I, I'm still... Yeah, I, I confused by why there's like there. a random like shot in like a sequence of them going down like cars and train, which is where you see uh-huh. Natalie Portman at the very very end of the film, and there's like a random like man who is happened to be played by Mil- Bill Murray, uh-huh. and I have no idea why he's there. You have no idea. How many times have you seen this film? Five or six times in the last three yeah. weeks. Yeah, like so, like we have somebody who is yeah. very like versed in the like. And this goes this goes yeah. straight back to the universe because Bill Murray is part of Wes Anderson's cabinet. You've mm-hmm. got the Life Aquatic with C.C. Zoo, 
Uh, he's going to come. I mean, this is a movie I really want to talk about because this is where geography really matters for me. Fantastic Mr. Fox or no? Not Fantastic Mr. Fox, but Wes Anderson's next project, which is the French Dispatch of the Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun. I want to talk about it at the end. Okay. I want to talk about like Americana and I want you to tie it up. Okay. Definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely. But the fact that Bill Murray is there leaves you wondering, okay, is this somehow connected to the other movies Wes recently put out? And then you realize, okay, maybe they're all just like subtly uh joined together in this this massive massive Wes Anderson universe it honestly yeah. like when I watch DC with you yeah like the DC universe and then what's the other one the big like Superman who's part of Marvel the Marvel universe yeah. DC universe and then the Wes Anderson universe yeah I never thought I'd say those three in line but Wes Anderson real, truly yeah. does have his own universe and when you're sometimes lost in that universe he'll sometimes give you a little a little bait a little hint said hey this mm -hmm. is where you are in that universe with the music Mm -hmm. So with the Hotel Chevalier, he plays this song and this short that's completely separate from the movie itself, but it, it you know, it somehow connects that puzzle piece to the overall puzzle itself. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's all I had. Uh, that's all I, I mean, I wanted to get out on that point, but I think it's really interesting how that music, which I'm not sure, again, how much control he truly has over it, whether or not he has other folks he trusts for that, but yeah. how it forms this this glue for a very eclectic Wes Anderson vibe. Yeah, I think if we're going to talk about uh, the Darjeeling Limited specifically, mm -hmm. I think he probably had more control in that film, like, as opposed to in any of the other films. Because in that film, sorry, <clears throat> in that film, he didn't have a composer. Like, anywhere that I looked, I could not find one. Mm -hmm. I literally sat and watched the end credits, and I could not find a composer. Oh. It but, felt like he was playing songs off of a playlist he just had on Spotify. Which is, like, literally what he did. Like, um, really? Well, because we were saying before, like, Santijit Ray, uh -huh. like, he took and li likely licensed all of this, like, from his entire um, filmography, mm -hmm. like, all of these random, like, title themes and songs and that kind of thing. And songs. But, like, uh, different score points. And I think it's interesting. I would like to watch, like... Um, Santijit Ray's like filmography because I want to know if those like songs were used in a completely different context yeah. because I think it's interesting that's such an interesting choice I wonder if there are politics behind that honestly there really could be I don't know I'm not an expert I'm not a scientist huh. but like I I don't know that is such an interesting choice how so politics in what way like there could have been a composer that then he like fired or there could have been like something that he wanted to do but then he went like it, there's mm -hmm. just like a lot of things mm -hmm. um but he it reminds me a lot of and i talked about this like six months ago so like if you remember that good on you <laughs> but there's two films that really stick out to me in terms of like directors kind of being like we're gonna just scrap on the music um and that is uh the graduate and uh 2001 space odyssey and that is in the graduate the director was like we're going to use our, uh, yes, we hired a composer, but, like, actually, we did our temp track, which is what, it's random songs-ish, kind of, that uh, the editors used to cut the film that are fairly similar in tone and uh, BPM to, this is this is what I know, this is what I know, I could be wrong, it could be different in any studio, but to sort of um, substitute so that when the composer's done, you understand what's happening, hmm. and then all the licensing goes through, you understand what's happening. 
the graduate was like, uh, uh, they were just like, mm, yeah, you know what? It's it's uh, actually we cut like we used Simon and Garfunkel so much in our like temp track that we're just gonna like, hi, I want the rest of the songs like. And Simon and Garfunkel was like, no, it's fine. And then like hmm. like they persuaded they being the team persuaded them to sort of like give it up, like make sure like that kind of thing. And then they asked them to write songs for the film, and they had songs in the works. Like Mrs. Robinson was. A song that was in the works which is about a completely different situation Wait, when was the graduate released 64 68 it's that old don't offend our viewers. i'm not <laughs> trying our viewers. but no it's an older no 1964 I know. okay so they okay. were let me see putting this movie together when simon and garfunkel were still recording maybe together it was earlier maybe it was earlier I, I okay feel like... i need to get my hold little on, timeline correct or calibrated because this is i think it was uh 67 <laughs> So, wow. pretty close. Um, but yeah, and so the other one is 2001 Space Odyssey. And it was so funny because, like, <laughs> this poor composer. Stanley Kubrick hired a composer <laughs> and then, like, had a temp track filled with all these, like, I don't want to say, like, stock songs, but they're, like, very well-known, like, symphonic, pretty, uh, um, not open source, but, like, copyright-free. I don't know. Like, they, huh. they, their copyright, um, like, has been sort of released because they were older songs. Um, so... <laughs> He was like, just kidding. I like the temp track. You're fired. And I was huh. really, I don't know. I feel really bad. So who put together the temp track? Who does that in the um, office? I think it depends. Could I'm it not entirely sure. No. Just some intern no. put together a temp track that starred in the Stanley Kubrick film. Interns? <laughs> when this film was released? That's funny. Um, no, but I I don't know. It. That would be an interesting thing to find out. It was probably the sound editors and maybe... Like the studio, but I'm not okay. Totally sure. And then, what is the relationship between the sound editors and the composer that someone hires? The big name. These are politics. I'm not totally sure about. Okay. If uh, certain people are listening and would like to tell me, that would be great, um, <laughs> because you have more knowledge than I do. Um, but uh, you have. It's very. I have a TV lens on it, so it's a little different. Mm. Um, but at least from a TV TV lens, you have like a supervisor and a coordinator who work on clearing things. You have like a. Typically, you have a sound editor and a script supervisor who will sort of, like, figure out where things go in. Hmm. And you obviously have your editing team. And you also have to confer with the directors and the producers, or the director and the producers. So, it's, like, a big process. Um, so, I actually don't know who puts in the temp track. That's interesting. I want to say it's the supervisors and the sound editors in, like, collaboration. But the sound editors mm -hmm. also have to work on, like, sound design. So, I'm not totally sure. And I don't really know how it works in films because it's a studio setting most of the time. So mm -hmm. that's different. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that choosing a temp track, this is obviously like, I don't think this is a temp track situation. I think that Wes actually went out and was like, because you were saying earlier that like this was a love letter to a specific filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was this person. I can do some very quick research, research and figure it out. But I think that the whole like use of somebody else's score from completely different films that they like made is incredibly interesting and obviously there's like as we said before like there's the kinks there's like uh that very iconic stone songs stones song mm -hmm. um don't play with me because you're playing with fire <laughs> like really good yeah really, that's the really song i was rolling into on the amtrak oh nice when i got to la nice. next to that big old river and uh and yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think, yeah, talk about like yeah. a subtle, subconscious 
impact that Wes Anderson had on me in the real life, in the real world, I don't think I would have taken a train to LA mm. so haphazardly yeah. had I not been addicted to the Darje- Darjeeling Limited. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you think about, I'm not sure. I think one of the okay. more interesting questions to ask someone if they say they're a fan of Wes Anderson is, oh, yeah, which one is your favorite? Because mm. if you're someone who's, I mean, heavily nostalgic, you love high school, you went to a prep school, then Rushmore is going to be that for you. I mean, it's just like strange little coming of age question mark with a weird Bill Murray factory owning character and some, I mean, just very interesting academic dynamics, teacher stuff wise, creepy stuff. I definitely need to see that, but I also don't know if I want to. (laughs) It's again, it came right after Bottle Rocket. So it's one of his earlier films. Yeah. 2000, or 1996-8, but then for Eight. someone else, that, that answer could be very, very... If, I mean, if you loved Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and you grew up on Roald Dahl and you see Wes Anderson doing a really, really, really uh, uniquely well-done job with Fantastic Mr. Fox, I don't think anyone else could have... I don't know. I want to know who did the animation for that movie um, to see how much of a role Wes Anderson actually had in the aesthetics of that. Um, but... I really liked Fantastic Mr. Fox, but the Darjeeling Limited definitely uh, had its way with me. I mean, especially like being back in Kansas after yeah. being in Boston and London and South Dakota for so long that being back with family as the middle child with two siblings that kind of remind you of Jack and Francis. Um, that's why that that was just like such a yeah yeah and I think I just kind of put myself in their shoes uh, maybe to a, you know a slightly stronger extent than I should have but it's okay. uh, the fact that that song came on particularly when I was on a train coming to LA mm-hmm. I love when things work out like that yeah you know it was I mean? a coincidence it was a no yeah full on coincidence and that's the thing like I would like to do this when I grow up right. Mm-hmm. But I think about the impact that music has had, like, in my life. And so many of the songs that I enjoy and that I connect with are because I connected with them in a show that I connected with. You know? Mm-hmm. They were in an important scene or they were an important thing. And, yeah, I, I could we could argue that, like, yes, is a lot of my life influenced more, like, by media more than, like, most people? Absolutely. But I would 100% say that uh, if you guys are getting feedback, let me know because I don't know what's happening. Um but I would 100% say that in the whole, I guess, uh, scheme of, how do I say this? <laughs> if we're going to think about, I don't know. If we're going to think about, like, everybody has that somewhere. You, you can't, like, control it because it's something that you, you like something for a reason. Like, people connect to things for a reason. And, like, a lot of that does have to do with the music. And for me, that's, like, the first thing I notice is the music. And that's the first thing I connect to. And again, that's why I have the show, because it's important. Um, and I really want to respect the people who put it there, because if we're going to talk about Wes Anderson, yeah, we could talk about how the Darjeeling Limited is kind of like, not like one of the best messages to send. It's kind of about three white guys, like yeah, traveling through. Just stomping their way through India. Exactly. And then like their mother, who is like kind of this. Well, like, a bunch of British songs are being played in the background. And you're just exactly. like, wow, that's a little yeah. tone deaf, is it not? Right. But at the same time, like you connected with that. Yeah. Yeah, you connected with something in that, whether it was the music, whether it was like the sort of there's a there's a very large element of like uh, 
sort of unknown in that film. I think that that's very attractive about it. Mm-hmm. And I also think that, I don't know, it's so, that movie baffles me because it, there's literally, there's like, I don't want to say three songs in it, but there's three very prominent songs. And I kind of want to talk about this a little bit before we move on. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that in most of his films, I don't say most, but a lot of his films, and I don't know if this is whether, like, this has anything to do with, like, um, supervision or copyright or licensing or anything like that, but he does not use that many songs in the background of scenes. Like, Mm -hmm. all of his songs are incredibly prevalent. They're usually in, like, montages or, like, I don't hear that many songs that are just playing casually. Mm -hmm. There's score that's playing casually, but songs always have a prominence that a lot of, like, other media doesn't, like... I don't know. There's media. Yeah. You see a show and they're in a mall. There's music playing in the background. I think it's also something he uses to take people out of like direct reality. So he mm-hmm. uses in Darjeeling Limited uh, that one, the Kinks song. That one, one, that one song from the Kinks. Um, right as they're marching to the funeral, they're all in slow motion. So you're autom- automatically taken out of reality. Things are in slow motion. There's, there's no way things are happening in real time. And then right after that song starts it kind of fades into this flashback where they're at mm-hmm. their own funeral or the dad's their dad's life, funeral yeah. right, right right where all this drama with their mom occurred and um, spoilers <laughs> no, brotherly, I'm just you know quarrels yeah. and all that jazz but it is uh yeah in in that in that film music is definitely used as like an illusionary yeah absolutely and, and i would something something yeah, I'd say the same thing is kind of like that with um, Moonrise Kingdom. I haven't seen that in a long time. It's really good because Moonrise Kingdom, I don't think it has any supervised music. They worked with somebody named Britton. Huh. Like B-R-B-R-I-T-T-O-N-E-N. Mm-hmm. I don't know, autocorrect is being horrible with me. Um, but this person is known for doing like children's voices. So there's a huge amount of like pretty like prominent pieces of media that have pretty prominent pieces of song or pieces of music but also like i don't know i I like that phrase but i know it's not grammatically correct um that britain takes and like adds onto and like adapts in order to have this sort of like more like childlike almost more adventurous but also a little bit creepy of a flair because when you hear children's voices and songs it's very rarely like this is cute like I, even when I listen to, like, what is the song? Uh, uh, so This Is Christmas, What Have You Done? The, the freaking the John Lennon song. And then they go, war is over if you want. And the children are singing. That scares me. Like, that does not make me comfortable. And I think in Moonrise Kingdom, they do a pretty good job at making it kind of fit really well with the scene when usually something that I hear like that would take me so far out of it. Mm-hmm. Um but it's also a little creepy, I'm not going to lie. But yeah, there are no... Oh, uh, by person. He left. Um, but I don't know. There are a lot of little things that sort of make me... That's that's an interesting hmm. Wait, like, so soundtrack. that... This Britain, they use a lot of children's voices in their music? What are they known yeah, for? Yeah, using children's voices here. I can, I can just like okay. show you that's the thing right now. Um, but I noticed as well, as we're looking at this sort of list, I typed out this massive list of things that like... Uh, songs and like <laughs> politics which hmm. i want to not like wrap up like i want to talk about um royal tenenbaums and then i want you to talk about yeah americana um but if you okay. have anything else you want to talk about no i want to hear how you read the royal tenenbaums 
Because again, you have that that marvelous title. It's kind of like the Grand Budapest Hotel. You've got the royal Tenenbaums and uh, yeah. Well, I I love that movie. My dad likes that movie. Really? Um, yeah. No, but I like. I don't know. I think it's just so interesting to me because after he started working with Alexandra Spla, like mm-hmm. it's that a, almost a all score. Yeah. It was. Yeah, like okay. uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox had like a pretty good amount of like music, music, but a lot of it came from other films. Like, um, wait, is the Darjeeling Limited really from 2007? Yeah. When is the Royal Tenenbaums from? Before that? 2001, yeah. Oh, one. Okay, okay, that would make sense. But yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting um, because, again, his uh, collaborator before was Mark Mothersbrough. And, mm-hmm. like, there is a lot of, like, supervision involved in that or, like, licensing involved with that from just what I'm seeing mm-hmm. and what I've researched. But, like, I'm wondering if that was another, like, part of his skill set. Was he right. able to license that and like also have his composition or like if he had a team? Huh. I don't know. It's just an interesting shift in career and in career moves. And I also think that that influences <laughs> his film style in some way. Like I think after Darjeeling Limited, it becomes a lot more visual. Like the the, the visuals are very beautiful, but but he comes almost a lot yeah, more yeah. like hyper realistic in Definitely. his visuals. I don't know, especially like I love dogs. Well, I so. think that the Royal Tenenbaums was hyper realistic. Yeah, and I think he toned it down for Darjeeling. Yeah. And then he might have brought it up in the early 2010s because that's what really like, yeah, struck popularity. But I think in Royal Tenenbaums, it's visual like, it's less about scenery and more about like individual shot work. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in uh, Moonrise Kingdom and Budapest Hotel specifically, like it's very much about setting things mm-hmm. with aesthetics. Okay. Like I would argue that most people walk out of those films being like, yeah, the like plot was cool, but I loved the aesthetics. Whereas in, like, The Royal Tenenbaums is a lot more about I love the story. And maybe this is just a generalization. Mm -hmm. But, like, the first time I watched all three of those, I was definitely like, yeah, I like the aesthetics more. See, that's why I started watching them over and over and over again. Because I loved the aesthetics. It made me feel so warm and cozy inside. Exactly. I just love the richness of the colors he chose. Like, that that poster that you put up to share all this. Mm -hmm. That Wes Anderson and musical overview. Oh, yeah. Something about that I just trust. I just huh. really, really, really trust that color scheme. Especially the blue in there. Yeah. Mm. But huh. when I watch it the second time and pay a little bit more attention, when I'm not as enamored by the visuals and I actually start paying attention to the dialogue. I've never been much of a dialogue guy. But now that I've discovered it, that's actually why I'm going back through like the Wes Anderson library because I want to rediscover the dialogue because I watched the Royal Ten Bombs late 2019, okay. October 2019, I'd say. That's not too far. Actually, I think I watched it in Budapest. Not oh, to nice. get your heart oh. soaring, but I watched I it in Budapest it. when I was Whoa, that's going through all of that. Right, 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 right. Anyway. Another story for another day. Yeah, not here. But <laughs> I uh, now have this like insane urge to go back and rewatch it because I know for a fact I missed so much dialogue and yeah. I was okay with that because I was pacified by that scenery. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And it uh, just makes me all that more excited to rewatch it because I'm not a guy that likes to reread books or rewatch movies. Mm. But can't relate. <laughs> Wes Anderson has somehow figured me out. He knows how to keep me hooked. That's good. Um, I briefly want to talk about the the drama behind the Royal Tenenbaums soundtrack because I think it's so fascinating. And then I want to talk about Americana and then we should probably wrap up. Okay. Yeah. We're very close to being like over an hour and I don't want to. Tell me about the Royal Tenenbaums. I don't know. So this is fascinating. So they initially released the soundtrack in 2001, like the original soundtrack for this film. 
And it eliminated five songs, six songs. And that was Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard, which is disrespectful. That is a Paul Simon song that I adore. Anyway, anyway. Everyone by Van Morrison. Look at Me by John Lennon. Hey Jude, which was a cover um, by uh, the Masato Musica Orchestra, which is just an orchestral version of it. And then She Smiled Sweetly and Ruby Tuesday by mm-hmm. stones now obviously or uh, oh yeah i'm just kidding and Gymno, gymnopedie <laughs> which i don't really know how to pronounce number one which is a very 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 common score like thing uh just uh like piece used in things but this specific version of it was performed by uh eric soleil i think er- eric city yeah. well um, wait but all oh, of these Sassi, were yeah. not on the original soundtrack and people got you've mad. heard that last song gymnopedie in multiple Many scores? Times. Really? Oh my gosh. Okay, let's listen yeah. to that later tonight cuz I Oh, 100%. If you all listen to that song, what it is language is it in? everywhere. It's just instrumental. It's like Really? Yeah. Okay. You should look into Laurie Anderson. You're going to love her. I have, dude. I told okay. you this. Yeah. Let's dissect that later. Not here, but yeah. <laughs> no. This is about Wes Anderson. Um no. So then they released a second version in 2002, which uh three, I think three songs that were not in release 1 um and then Obviously, the Stones weren't on it because I think it was at, hold on. Yeah, it was the Darjeeling Limited where the Stones were finally, according to the uh, the internet, finally contractually allowed to put their songs on original soundtracks. So, yay. Um, but, yeah, obviously that was omitted still. Um, uh, Everyone by Van Morrison, which was actually the closing credits to the film, which is a huge win for the artist. Like, that is a big deal. Also missing from the soundtrack. Um, and then the, the score piece called Lindenberg Palace Hotel Suite was released under a different name, which, why would you choose along the name? Sonata for Cello and Piano in F Minor, which that history of that song is also weird because that was written by George Inescu, which he worked with a lot on this uh, particular piece. But it's often accredited to Maurice Ravel, adapted by Mark Mothersberg, and then performed by the orchestra I was talking about earlier. So, mess. Um, but in the second version of the soundtrack, they added Me and Julia down by the schoolyard. Yay. Um, Sonata, which obviously was, like, changed, but they actually did, had credited Inescu and the orchestra before, so they credited them. Like, they had just credited Mark, and that was it. But, like, they credited the proper people. And then Look at Me, John Lennon, and then the Hey Jude um, version. So, like, that's a disaster. Like, the fact that they had to release two soundtracks is very unfortunate. And it's not, like, a mess up. Like, I'm not saying that the mess was a, like, disaster. But, like, it's just kind of frustrating for everybody involved. And, like, I don't know. That's a, that's a whole other situation that I simply do not have enough knowledge to dissect. I just think it's interesting. And that is a lot of drama. Like, that's a lot of drama. <laughs> to have two releases, because a release definitely takes a lot of work. Like, that's a big deal. Was the movie also extended? Did they release an extended cut movie? No. They just omitted a huh. bunch of songs off the soundtrack. And again, I'm curious. I'm so like, strange. did people not get the, like, like legal rights to release it in time? Did people not, like, just, like, there was, like, a Stones issue where, like, they weren't, like, contractually allowed, but then they were allowed for this one release? Like, it's just very confusing. Hmm. And so I wonder why they decided to release it so early. Like, if they had stuff pending, et cetera. I'm like, I don't sure. know. It just doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, um, I definitely want to talk with you specifically because this is, like, your perspective and that sort of thing about, like, the Midwest connection, the sort of 
fetish you said you use the word fetishization which i think is good but also mm-hmm. romanticization of like a very specific i guess i don't want to say projected aesthetic of like the midwest but i would say like i don't know how accurate it is which is why i want to talk to you mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. yeah uh yeah that's kind of like that whole aspect of that okay yeah. right 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 so when i Trying to think how to preface this. When I think about why Wes Anderson names a movie a certain way, I have to assume, just logically, that it's because it'll somehow add to the production, somehow add to the artistic nature of this storytelling bit. I think he uses location incredibly well at times. Um... As someone from Eastern Europe, I thought he used the Grand Budapest Hotel incredibly, incredibly well. It, I think, spoke to the nature of a lot of folks who were immigrating to the United States at that time. I mean, when I think about, you know, John Sadlarczyk, the fellow that on my dad's side fled the Austro-Hungarian Empire in 1890, and took a train straight to Kansas City, Kansas, where he worked in the meatpacking industry for four, three or four generations, at which point my family became a bunch of mechanics. I think he portrays that idea of our ancestry extremely, extremely well. However, at times there are instances like the Darjeeling Limited where I just think that train could have been going somewhere else. The fact that it was just so heavily white, so heavily male, so heavily Western on a railroad, which is a, you know, almost the ultimate mark of pride for the Industrial Revolution, Mm. which led to the suppression of so many others around the world. I mean, I think... I don't know. I think there's a lot of tokenization in that movie Mm -hmm. of, like, Everybody who is not the main characters, like, I think that everybody who is not the main characters is used in a specific way to aid Mm -hmm. the main characters. And the only person that we really get to learn anything about is, like, the woman who's working on the train's name I've forgotten because she has these sexual relationships. I I missed that. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. beautiful. I wish. But, like, it's, like, that her only connection with these men is, like, like, having sex with, like, one of them who is the person that Natalie Portman is associated with. Yeah. So it's, like, very interesting. I don't know. There's a lot of, like, questionable um, co-opting of culture in that mm-hmm. film, especially, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I think about the mother and, like, her spiritual journey and that kind of thing. And it's very, like, it has a lot of energy of, like, white people who, like, go, like, like to India on, like, a like meditation spiritual retreat and then, like, only take out of that experience, like, oh, like, it changed mm-hmm. me and then, like, sort of, like, take advantage of the culture and take advantage of the area and, like, the product of gentrification right, but that's a whole right, other conversation yeah. but like at the same time like the film's not about the culture which is interesting in my opinion because it says two things it says one wes anderson did not want to explore that which you know we talked about earlier we see what he wants us to see mm-hmm. um but number two it's sort of like it's placing a lot of responsibility on these main characters to be socially conscious 
Um, and I think that the aesthetics absolutely make up for that. But I think the aesthetics of this place are also very mm-hmm. westernized. Definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. But you, what you were saying earlier about the re- uh, uh, industrial revolution mm-hmm. is very intriguing, because I mean, I don't know if I want to get into this on the show no, not, about it's music, a but like show. you know a lot about like trains and the train system and that kind of thing, huh. and it's a very like interesting. I don't know. Just the way that he built this plot is incredibly confusing to me. But like the end product of it is very beautiful. But there's also a lot to unpack. Yeah. Especially if we think about the name. Like. Uh huh. Uh huh. And I think part of that stems from like the acceptability of the fact that he's able to put all these motifs in and not get called out. I don't think he's been called out. That's a very interesting. And this yeah, is this is why I'm excited to see what he does with Kansas. Um, yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah, it's it's been tabled right now, but the next movie that, that Wes Anderson is releasing, it, it was set to come out, I think, around this time, got pushed yeah. back. Its release is now scheduled for maybe September, October. Yeah. I think it's all... It's done, yeah. Yeah, it, it's post-photography. It's probably just sitting there waiting to be released, timing-wise, because no one can go to the theaters right now. No one can actually interact with the yeah. movie physically. Um, I'm excited to, to see what is released because, mm. I mean, you're, you're, you're using Kansas in the namesake. Yeah. But it's entirely about how this Kansan was so obsessed with, with everything but Kansas that he began a newspaper called the French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Sun. The Liberty Kansas Sun was the newspaper, but the French Dispatch was his own column, and all it talked about was this young Kansan's obsession with everything but Kansas. Mm. As someone who had no appreciation for what they grew up in and around. And honestly, I don't think I appreciated, personally, I don't think I appreciated Kansas enough before I moved away. Mm. Um, I always, again, I grew up in this Eastern European bubble and the Slavic parts of Kansas City, Kansas, Strawberry Hill, Russian Hill, Mill Street, Central Ave. And although I thought that that was diverse, I didn't really appreciate everything else Kansas had to offer. Mm. And a lot of the other cultures that, that continue to exist there. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering if the French side of this film is going to shine brighter than the rest of what Kansas has to offer because I'm afraid he's just going to use it for the namesake for this I mean here's the thing my my friend Lucas yeah we got a full ride yes to, to the school we ended up being roommates at yeah up in Boston right mm-hmm. he was the uh, by his own words the triple minority threat he was the gay Brazilian Jew and people loved that Babson loved that they gave him a full ride and a diversity leadership award. And um, yet at parties, when we showed up, he would describe me as his token Kansan. Mm. Because he didn't, I mean, he would, he would jokingly say, Charlie, I did not think Kansans actually existed. Well, yeah, and you were talking about this. You said, you mentioned this kind of offhandedly to me, but that has stuck with me, that like the first thing that people remember about me when I introduce them and like myself and they like, like, uh, you're like, Oh, I'm Charlie. I'm from Kansas. Like I do X, Y, and Z. Like I'm an interesting person. And people are like, you're from Kansas. Mm. Like that's the thing that people like ask you yeah. about, which is like, bother, no, it's bother interesting. Me. It's interesting. I th- I'm excited to see 
uh, people come out and start to explore Kansas. Yeah, I just hope it's like, because there's a, here's two things. One, I think that that could be, I think it relies very heavily on who that like main character is. Like what that main character's history is, well, where that person's from. Right. But number two, I think it relies very heavily on whether or not they go to the cliche, which is like two mm-hmm. things that could be the cliche. Yeah. One, guy moves away, appreciates Kansas, comes back. Two, guy has all these people like agreeing with him and he figures out it's a toxic environment and decides to change his mind. Mm-hmm. I worry that whatever happens along that, I don't want it to be cliche because that means that it's not about Kansas anymore. It's yeah, just about but, where you grow up. Right. And I yeah. want to stick a massive asterisk there. Like, I want to yeah. put a cap on the... Uh, on my hesitancies with Wes Anderson because Wes, you have me hooked. Mm. I mean, needless to say, you have me hooked. And I'm genuinely excited for this release. Yeah. I'll be there day one. Um, and so beyond that hesitancy, I want to uh, congratulate you on taking an incredibly bold choice in harmonizing what's happening in southeastern Kansas with what was happening in Paris in 1968. Mm. I think that those two sides of history, those two dynamics at the exact same time are, uh, I think that's gonna create a very playful dynamic. Uh, I think a lot of folks who relate to that side, who remember the May 68, protests and riots well and like the whole journalism yeah like censorship yeah yeah i think it's gonna get i don't know people thinking yeah i I wish i knew what the soundtrack was because i know alexander there's one song i need to show you it's it's from the trailer that's actually probably where i just want to end i want to know what's alexander spot composing again but anyway go ahead exactly what people think of the trailer the trailer's out there it's been out there for three or four months. What's the trailer song? That's what we need to figure out. We can, you know, sound hound it later. But. It's Aline. The song uh, by Kristoff. The, the trailer is out in a few different editions. And if we know Wes Anderson, he likes to release things before he actually releases the final unit. So if there's, I don't know, another trailer release sooner rather than later, I would not be surprised. So. There's two. There's two trailers. There are two trailers already. Yeah. One is okay. uh, Ennio... Ennio Morricone's uh, The Last Time, and one is Aline by Kristoff. There we go. There we go. Okay, join the conversation, watch the trailer, listen to the songs they choose, and then, I don't know, uh, let us know. Tell Emma to tell me what you think, okay? Insta DM me. Or just Insta DM me at Knox Overstreet, N-O-X dot Uh, O-V-E-E-R-S-T-E. Remember the dot. I don't know how to spell street, Knox Overstreet. That's it'll funny. be there it'll be there anyway, it'll be there um thank you guys so much for listening i appreciate it do you have anything else you want to no thank you add? so much for having me on of course um i will uh the donation link is there if you joined after that message was sent it is in the last instagram story i posted it's just bit.ly slash sync dash tbp so the bail project mm-hmm. um yeah and so i will i i want to like set up my twitch twitch so that there is a link like sort of in the like info below 
so that it like works but i have to like make a graphic for that mm-hmm. so give me a second mm-hmm. but yeah um thank you guys so much for watching or listening i appreciate you um thank you charlie for being on here it absolutely. Was really fun. absolutely absolutely all right i love you all thank you for watching have a great day be good yourselves be and good uh and wash your hands okay yeah, wash your hands clean hands please <laughs> um no be good to each other be good yourselves be good to each other and be good to the world and i will see you next week there love we go. you